0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I resolved while I was among you to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. As I began my meditations and preparations for the sermon on Wednesday, this sort of stuck in my heart. And I took it with me to uh, the meeting on Thursday. Some of you may remember, I talked about this last weekend, that this past Thursday, Bishop Donald Hying, the Bishop of Madison, had a meeting with the priests of the diocese to talk about how to more effectively preach the gospel in this area. So as I was just ringing, yeah, to know Christ, the mystery of the cross and the resurrection that flows out into deeds of charity and a light to the world, And then I heard this conversation where, to be clear, there weren't any real particular resolutions that came out of this meeting, so I don't want to get ahead of the game. But as I just heard the conversation going, I was hearkened back to a letter that was written by Pope John Paul II that I had read when it first came out in 2001. He wrote this letter at the end of the great jubilee year 2000, so if you can remember way back. the year 2000. In January 2001, I was a bright-eyed 22-year-old seminarian just in my second semester of studies, and we read this letter together. And I hadn't read it in a long time, so I found it in my bookshelf and went back, and I found the two paragraphs that I knew exactly what were ringing in my heart, the very first paragraph and the 15th paragraph. So I'm going to read these two to you and then give a little explanation. So, he writes, now this letter was titled Novo Millenio Inuente, and of course, as you all know from your detailed Latin studies, that means at the new millennium. So he writes, at the beginning of the new millennium and the close of the great jubilee, which we celebrated the 2000th anniversary of the birth of Jesus and a new stage of the church's journey begins, our hearts ring out with the words of Jesus when one day After speaking to the crowds from Simon's boat, he invited the apostles to duk in altum, to put out into the deep for a catch. Peter and his first companions trusted Christ's words and cast the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Duk in altum, cast into the deep. These words ring out for us today, and they invite us to remember the past with gratitude, live the present with enthusiasm, and look forward to the future with confidence, for Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The church's joy is great as she devotes herself to contemplating the face of her bridegroom and Lord. And again, that began to stick with me because all last Lent I preached about devotion to the face. Now then he goes and he he writes a number of memories of what happened to 2000. Then paragraph 15 is titled, New Energies, and he writes this. If we ask what is at the core of the great legacy that the Jubilee leaves to us, I would not hesitate to describe it as the contemplation of the face of Christ, Christ considered in his historical features and in his mystery. Christ, known through the man of his manifold presence in the church and in the world, confessed as the meaning of history and the light of life's journey. Now we must look ahead. We must put out into the deep, trusting in Christ's words, Duke in Altum. What we have done cannot justify a sense of complacency, and still less should it lead us to relax our commitment. On the contrary, the experiences we have had must inspire in us a new energy and propel us to invest in concrete initiatives the enthusiasm which we have felt. Jesus himself warns us, no one who puts his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In the cause of the kingdom, there is no time for looking back even less for settling into laziness. Much awaits us. For this reason, we must set about drawing up an effective post-Jubilee pastoral plan. It is important, however, that what we propose with the help of God should be profoundly rooted in contemplation and prayer. Ours is a time of continual movement, which often leads to restlessness with the risk of doing for the sake of doing. We must resist this temptation by trying to be before trying to do. Now, this came about in a very lively way when the bishop, without getting into particulars, revealed the basic stages of what this pastoral plan would be. Stage one being the deep formation of priests and the parish staffs and faculties. And so I have already, what he'll do for the priest is not yet known, but I've already begun a process with the staff. We haven't functionally began it, but we've laid out a plan that the staff at this parish can get deeper formation. And phase two, starting concurrently with it, the preaching and teaching of the life of prayer and holiness, of giving concrete plans in a way to contemplate the face of Christ, to remember the past with gratitude, live the present with enthusiasm, and look forward to the future with confidence. And I thought, well, you know, last Lent I preached about the face of Christ. Why don't I just preach all those same sermons again? Nobody remembers what they are. I can give myself a lot of free time by not having to write new ones. But then that seemed like bad spirit and not the thing to do. So I went back. I keep simple track of these things. And one of my most well-commented on sermons in the past year was from this past Christmas. And I said to myself, well, that's kind of nice because I took that, huh, that sermon almost wholesale from this book titled The Life of Christ by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And so I know what I will do. I will preach all of the Lenten sermons and all of the Easter sermons coming up from this book. Now. You might know the name Fulton Sheen. He is somewhat famous for many years. For seven straight years, he had the number one rated TV show in America. If you can imagine a time in American life where the most popular TV show was a Catholic bishop teaching catechism on a blackboard for an hour, right? Famously titled, Life is Worth Living. He wrote many books and so forth. One of the reasons why he is, in a sense, the perfect person for this is he was born and raised in the great metropolis of El Paso, Illinois, a tiny farm town that has a church, a bar, a grocery store, five houses, and then farms all around. So grew up on a farm, born at the end of the First World War, grew through those hard times of the, of the Depression, faithful person, very bright, has a vocation to the priesthood because of his profound intellect, receives a world-class education, grows up as a priest from the heartland of this nation while it goes from the Depression through the Second World War to becoming a mighty world power, seeing the confrontation with atheistic communism enduring the cultural revolution of the late 1960s and early 1970s through the massive shifts in church life before, during, and after the Second Vatican Council. Himself becoming a very prominent person, converted many, many famous people from business and Hollywood and so forth. And so what I find in this book... Is a tremendously deeply biblically resourced work. It is the life of Christ in chronological order, deeply faithful to the sacred scriptures, from a mind that has encountered much in contemporary American life that affects our lives today, and explained in what I might call an American idiom, ways that you and I who live in this place and experience can comprehend it easily. Now, a logical reaction might be, Father Eric, you've got read the Catechism in a year, and then you've got all these books out there. You want us to read one more book? Please, relax. It's not a homework assignment. This is not the kind of book that I can just buy, you know, like sell them a, a copy as a dollar, and I can buy 700 and just give them out. Uh, so I can't have tons out there to sell. It's easily found to purchase. I know it would profit your spiritual life. But either way, it will become the source for how we try to, in a particular way, begin forming a plan to contemplate the face and the life of Christ, to know not but Jesus Christ and him crucified, which is the pathway to glory and the life of salt and light of charity and deeds. Now, I'm going to stop this sermon here because part two is next weekend, and even though we're all snowed in, we can only take so much at the time of the sermon. We'll start to get more practical. Be very faithful to praying for those 12 names who you want to invite into friendship with Jesus Christ. Lent is two and a half weeks away. Start thinking about what your disciplines of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving will be. And let us have very open hearts to approach the next phase of our life under the leadership of our bishop and striving to know Christ and him crucified, that we might remember the past with gratitude, the present with enthusiasm, and the future with confidence. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.